You're listening to Extra Takes, hosted by Northland Church lead pastor, Dr. Joshua Laxton. Tune in each week as Pastor Josh reveals the rest of the story behind his sermons. We'll discuss how those who follow Christ can live out a biblical vision for the church in the world today. Well, hello, Northland family and friends. Welcome to another episode of Extra Takes. My name is Matt Shiles. I am joined by my co-host, Pastor Josh Laxton. And we have somebody else here as well. Pastor Josh, who do we have here? Well, he is known as Sleeping Joe. <laughs> he was he was on one of my pictures, and and Joe and I. I mean, obviously we we, we knew each other before. We we were friends, but we got so much closer on our trip to Kenya and Egypt, and so. He truly is now my brother from another mother, you know. But we, but we, we did, we, we, so we got so yeah, we got we really did. We got so close, and uh, Joe was my bodyguard because he he's like I mean an umpteenth black belt and you know every everything that there is, and so I was I was I was grateful that he was with me. So Joni and Ali paid him to make sure that I was safe. So is he being your bodyguard in the podcast studio today, too? Well, no, no, no. I, I, I brought him to the table so I can still poke fun at him. So. That's the only reason. Uh, peace. Remember, peace be all. Peace be. Well, every, every week, Joe helps with the formation of these questions. He's a, he's a vital resource, and, um, and he's my backup. So, um, you know, in a couple weeks, I think he'll be filling in for me, and uh, it's just a joy to have you here, and uh, it'll be fun to have you contribute today. Thank you. So as a reminder, we are continuing our Acts series called Empowered. This week was March 18th and 19th. Joy and amazement, what gospel ministry brings to people and cities. And this was Acts 8, 4 through 40. So the main point was when God's people engage in gospel ministry, People in cities experience joy and amazement. And as I think about that, I think of this idea of if Northland no longer existed, would the city miss us? Hmm. Yeah, that was a that was a question that I believe his name was Robert Lewis in his book, The Church of Irresistible Influence. That's where I first saw that question. Okay. If your church ceased to exist, would your would your community miss you? Yeah. And I think it's a really great question to ask. I mean, you can even ask that as a parent, you know. Wow. <laughs> God forbid something happened to me, would my would my children, even my grown children, would would they miss me? Mm. You know, if something happened to me at my job, would they miss me? Because I think that when 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 the people of God actually engage in what God has called them to do, I I think the I think the running answer should be yes. Because as you know, mentioned in the message, gospel ministry is active. It's not passive. Mm. It's always doing something because there's always ministry to be done. Mm. You know, so therefore, if you withdraw the person who is active in ministry and gospel ministry, there should be a element of missing that. So, it's a great question. Yeah, and this this um, week was all about this idea of joint and amazement. There was really three parts. We talked about the characteristics of gospel ministry. We talked about the shifts that need to happen. And then also we ended with who, um, who's the central role of bringing that joy and amazement. Mm. So let's start. You, you spent a good chunk of the first part of your message talking about the last three weeks. Mm. And I thought it was 
it was so helpful for a couple of reasons. You had you had a pretty pretty diverse experience over three weeks, and um, we would just love for you to talk about maybe how you saw God show up, things that maybe you weren't able to include this weekend, um, and even some aha moments from your travels. Yeah, the the thing that I, I would say I took away from the particularly the two weeks, you know, one in Kenya, one in Egypt was lessons from Egypt. Like I, I enjoyed my time in Kenya and that was really more so pouring into leaders, doing leadership development, which I love doing. So so it really did bring me a lot of joy. There was a lot of amazement engaging with these leaders and, and hearing some of their stories. And I know that Joe and, and his wife Priscilla, as well as our entire team, they, they really did invest in that team. And they got to even know more stories than, than I even did. But but really for me, my takeaways uh, came from Egypt. Mm. And so I actually wrote down some lessons from Egypt that I feel like I, I would, I'd love to share with our our people. Great. One, the, the, the first takeaway is hearing how how Pastor Sima and their kind of leadership years ago got to the point of, point of well, we can't reach Muslims. Like, they, they've tried everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and where they turned their attention to the Lord and said, we can't do this, but we know you can. Hmm. And then for for them to start seeing God show up and engage Muslims with dreams, with visions, and and then they would they would start having these opportunities to to engage them. Yeah. And so I really do feel like we're getting into a place in our own culture in a, in a, in, a, in a similar but different way of going. All right, Lord, the the, the context has has really shifted. For us, and we're having a hard time engaging in a manner that that is effective. We need you, yeah. And so that that was a big takeaway from you know from from Egypt. A second one was that they're just faithful in word and deed. So the, here here's a church that runs that averages about ten or twelve thousand. Which no, I mean, I wouldn't have even thought that before we had you know before I had even learned about KDEC. Is that you? You mean to tell me there's an evangelical church, you know, in, in the Middle East yeah. that that averages that 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 amount of people, and so, but but just listening to them, they're just faithful in doing yeah. proclaiming the word and and reaching out and engaging in in mercy ministry. Hmm. So so that's where it just reminds me once again faithfulness. Yeah. Let, let us be faithful. God will be fruitful. Hmm. The, the the third thing that I would say is that you really do live by faith there because it is still a vulnerable place to live as Christians. Yeah. So so it's not so you know people had asked me even the last couple of days since I've been back. I, I mean, is it hard to be a Christian? Well, I mean, yeah, it, it still is. But they have even said in the last few years what has happened in in just their environment. They haven't seen ever, yeah. so so they even have Muslims coming to their church service, and and right now, I mean, like people are okay with it. Uh, now the conversion or, or converting from Islam to Christianity, people aren't okay with that, but 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 it's still it's still a vulnerable place to live as believers, yeah. and so you really are living by faith because you don't know what might happen. 
Um, I mean, so when you have when when you have these little security checkpoints at your church, yeah. like you we, we would see in schools today. Yeah. I mean, it shows you it's still pretty serious there that you, you know they're trying to monitor who still can come in because there there is still this this element that somebody might try to come and blow us up. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it is. Uh... It is in your face. I mean, everywhere we went, we went through metal detectors. Yeah. In those three days on the ground, we probably went through 30 metal detectors. Yeah. And even at the airport going through, normally we pull out our passport or our ticket maybe once or twice. Over there, it was five or six times. Checkpoint, Mm. checkpoint, checkpoint, checkpoint. So they are conscious of it too. Yeah. Yeah. So – that was one, and the the last two is that the spirit is still doing signs and wonders, Amen. and and I know this is a theological debate here, and and that's why like Americans, we, you know, American Christians, we love to debate things, and you know, we'll spend more time debating than we will praying, but but <laughs> <laughs> don't you know? But I mean, it really is, and but they didn't seek out. For it, I mean that—that's that was what I got from Pastor Simon. It's not like we, you know, his. It's not like they were sitting around going, you know, we we, we want to start a healing ministry. No, they just started praying and started seeing healings. Yeah, and then you know the idea of dreams and visions and then then the stories that they would tell. I mean, it's kind of like I, I, you know, there's a part of me that I want to go. How, like really, <laughs> you know that, and I mean they have no reason to lie to us, right? Yeah. I mean, and they're shocked about it. Yeah, like they're just it is God, it is just God it doing doing what God does best. So, yeah. so that was something that I took away going, wow, okay. Uh, if if God does that over there, mm. God, I believe with all my heart, God wants to do that here. Mm. And and then the last part was. You know, I was I was in Cairo. You know, we were in Cairo, and it was the first morning in Cairo. And I, I woke up, and I'm uh, upstairs just uh, drinking some coffee, trying to wake up. And I'm looking out the window and into really downtown Cairo, and I'm just asking the Lord to give me a word about Egypt. Yeah. You know, because they, you know, it's almost like being in Israel, which I've never been in Israel, but we are planning an Israel trip. Like I I talked to Pastor Gus recently and so we are in the we were we're in the planning stage of planning a trip to Israel. But but being in Egypt is is ba- basically kind of like being in Israel because it it's such a historic place. Yeah. And so I'm just there, and I'm like, God, get, just give me a word for Egypt, you know. And so as I'm sitting there praying and dwelling on just just script, you know, scripture, it really hit me that Egypt has played a pivotal role in God's redemptive history, mm. and, and the role that Egypt has played in God's redemptive history is one of reception and preservation. And so when you look at early on in Genesis with the reception of Joseph. And then his his family, his dad, Jacob. So Egypt received them. And then for the next 400 years, God used Egypt to preserve them. Because when they came to town, they were less than 100. <laughs> when they get ready to leave 400 years later, scholars will, will estimate somewhere between 1 and 2 million people. Well, how did that happen? Well, it happened because at the time, the dominant nation on planet Earth was Egypt. Yeah. 
So God used Egypt for reception and preservation. And then I can show a couple other places in the Old Testament, but another place that you would really know is actually in the life of Jesus. So when Herod wants to kill all of the babies two years of age and younger, uh, Joseph is warned about this and is told to, to flee. Well, where does he flee to? He takes Mary and the baby Jesus to Egypt. And so Egypt is, is one of reception and preservation for the Messiah. And so when you, when you think about Egypt's pivotal role in God's redemptive mission, I mean, it just puts things in context. Because I was telling the Egyptians this, and I'm like, guess what? America's not in the Bible. <laughs> I know how some people want to say it. Like, I remember somebody said years ago, well, you, you, you can't spell Jerusalem without USA. And I'm like, Re-? I mean, I just want to roll my eyes. I'm like, good night. Well, I promise you this. When they were spelling Jerusalem uh, in, in Hebrew, USA wasn't in there, you, you know, so <laughs> So anyways, and then when you read Isaiah 19, there's this prophecy about Egypt and there's a prophecy of warning, but there is actually a, a prophecy of blessing that, that in the latter days, God's spirit would move in Egypt to bring about a revival in five cities. One is Helopolis, which is actually in present-day Cairo. And then at the very end of Isaiah 19, it talks about how Egypt will be referred to as my people, which actually is God's covenant people. Mm-hmm. So they will be grafted in. And so, and like I was you know, telling the you know, our Egyptian brothers and sisters, I'm like, America's not in the Bible, you know, and but but you are. And I said that the, the fact that we have the privilege and honor of partnering with you. And, and seeing that for thousands, I mean, I'm talking about thousands of years, God has used you mm. for his redemptive purposes. Mm. And, and then to even see in Isaiah 19 what he's going to do at the end, like I said, we, we want to partner with you. Yeah. Um, and so we, we, want to, we want to partner with where God's working. And so, so that was, the, the, you know, those are some lessons, some takeaways from Egypt and grateful for our partnership there, grateful for our time there. And, and I'll, I'll never, one, I'll never forget it, but that's one of the the things that I love about our partnership is that we'll continue to partner and go over there. Yeah, that yeah, that's wonderful. And that really leads us to our next section of the characteristics of gospel ministry. Joe, do you want to do that question? Yeah, and to kind of lead into that, I'll just add just from the Kenya point of view and attaching on to the faithfulness and the the desire for prayer. Mm. Like mm. they trust and pray so much, not for, like you said, they don't go search for anything. They just pray to God and say, this is what we need. Can you provide? They know that he will provide in some way. Mm. And somehow this, uh, the organization uh, Christ Hope is providing Mm. and helping these young children that have lost family members to AIDS. And it's just an amazing thing to to see the faithfulness trust. So I took from that as like, okay, and I keep going on of how am I praying, how am I, but that was just a whole nother eye-opening thing there. And going into that, especially where we were talking about, okay, here in America or here over in Eastern, uh, the Eastern Hemisphere, or excuse me, the Western Hemisphere, how am I thinking about myself and then partnering with someone like that? You had made a statement, Pastor Josh, I'm going to bring this uh, Titus in now. If we are going to pursue people not like us, mm. we need to be humble. Mm. 
we need to check our ethnicity at the door. How do we do that? Well, I mean, the yeah, the humility in checking your ethnocentrism and you know, kind of your ethnicity that you're not superior. You know, because it was on the trip where you know I got I got asked why am I so comfortable around black people, and it was funny because uh, last last I checked, Joe, you're black. Yes. So, <laughs> you, you know, but but yes. but it was but it but it is it, it, this I'm, I'm not superior, and 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 you're not superior. We have been we have been made in the image of God, and when you start with that, we're all on equal playing field. So therefore, it's not about me. Right, and and that's why I always like to say it's not about me; it's about he and we. Yeah. And when, when and, and we now could actually refer to the human race. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so so that, that 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 is one one way. But but to even have this, you know, because you know, again, talk about pursuing the nations. If we're going to pursue the nations, now I'm also when when you when you look at that from from just our context, you're pursuing people of of different races. You're pursuing people of different socioeconomic statuses, right? And so, so, but how do you do that? Well, and that's where one of sensitivity and inquisitivity. I, I think I don't even know if that's a word, but inquisitive. Yeah, I, I like just, making up just words. Just run with it. Yeah, I'll run with it. So, yeah. but being sensitive and being inquisitive. Yeah. Oh, and I know this. Like, and this is even this has even happened as you know, as Americans go overseas, we want we want to spend the bulk of the time talking, oh, as opposed to listening. And, and and that's one of the things that again I loved about Egypt, and even the context of teaching leadership in in Africa and Kenya. You know, you had to ask a lot of questions even during the lesson. Like, do you know? Because you're trying to think. Well, well, this particular principle and how I'm about to articulate it will it land in the way that it would land in the West. Yeah. And so, but but to do that, you have to ask questions. But but if you just assume. Then, then what? You, then again, what? What you're saying, with with I know with, without intention, but you're assuming that that they know what 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 you know, mm. and, and but but that's arrogant. Mm. That's an unintentional way of being arrogant. Mm. And so, but again, that's where again being being sensitive and inquisitive, uh, and then learning to be comfortably uncomfortable. Mm. And I do think that we're in a cultural context now. Where people don't want that because they feel like if they enter into the discomfort and they ask a question and maybe they're misunderstood, people will cancel them. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, I get that. Mm-hmm. But, but with the church, like if we really are going to be a diverse church, people with different, you know, a, a church that different ethnicities attend, uh, different races, and, and 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 I hate to even use race because race is a is a is a social construct, but but we use the term, so I'm going to use it, right? But but if we're going to be a diverse church with different socioeconomic statuses present, different political leanings present, then we're going to have to we're going to lean into that discomfort. But the, again, that's without prejudice, and so that means like if you're a Republican. You cannot be, and I know it, this is it sounds. It's going to sound foreign to to us, but if you are a Republican, you cannot be prejudiced against Democrats. Mm. If you are a conservative, mm. you cannot be prejudiced against 
progressives and then vice versa, where if you are going to engage in gospel ministry. Mm-hmm. Now, again, if you're not going to engage in gospel ministry, do what the world does. Right. But this is gospel ministry that we are talking about. They, you're pursuing people without prejudice. Mm. And so because Philip's not going to the you know Samaritan like, you know, you're a half-breed, but you know what? I'll tell you the gospel anyways. <laughs> I mean, he's like, you know, he's just sharing. So... And yeah. that was really special because our group was a very diverse group. Yeah. White, black, Hispanic. And we were all going to share in this mission about this of, of just connecting. And I think mm-hmm. the majority of us, because we were going in our mouths closed, ears and hearts open, we received more. And I think we even taught them more. About what was you know what was in their hearts, and that, at least that's the way I received it. Yeah. It was just one of those things, and we had some really good conversations. And so, yes, you are my brother from another mother, <laughs> and I, I love it. And we got close. And something I want to say, I think even uh, Pastor Vince said it, like you represented the church well, mm-hmm. um, and I know you weren't going over. Oh, I'm representing Northland. But you would just say, I want to represent God, and you did that very well across the board. So just those, just that wonderful thing. And the one message, and it kind of leads into something else we were talking about, something you stated was that you're a one-trick pony. <laughs> you, you said it, not uh, I did. Yeah, you one, said one, it. One-trick one pony. Although I can juggle. Uh, so, no, but uh, yeah, a, a one-sermon pony, maybe. One-sermon yeah, pony. Yeah, one-sermon one pony. Yeah. yeah, not a trick. Yeah, well, no, I, mean, I did. I said a one-trick yes, pony. Yes, yes. I, I'm a one-trick pony, yeah. Well, I mean, but this is, this is one of the things that I love about the gospel. Because the gospel, you know, Jesus' death burial, resurrection, the fact that he is making all things new, the gospel crosses cultural, ethnic, national boundaries. And so what might be, in some sense, good news for a Kenyan might not be good news for a South African. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and then if you think of apartheid, because we met some South Africans and became dear friends. But but, but again, and and so what what you're having to do is, in some sense, how do you, not, not in a manipulative way, but how do you package the gospel in a way that translates into the heart language of the person that, that you are trying to communicate. Like a really great example of this is Coca-Cola. And if you've ever been to the Coca-Cola Museum, they have Coke from around the world. And actually, even in Epcot, there's actually a, a little part uh, in right, right across from the confection. Uh, is it the confection uh, restaurant or confectionery? Confection. Yeah, I don't. Gosh, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I just know I go eat there. But but there but there's a Coke thing right across from it, and there's Coke from around the world. Yeah. Well, so it's still a Coke product. But because of the context, they use different ingredients so that it tastes, it, it hits their palate the way their context is is ready to receive it, yeah. right? So that that's the gospel. You don't change the gospel, but because the gospel is good news for everyone and it's good news for all realms of life, yeah. what you're trying to figure out is how does the gospel now engage this this context in a way where it's meaningful 
you, you know, to 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 them. And so that that's and that's why and, and that's why when when I say like I'm a one trick pony, one sermon pony, you're always looking for ways to to craft the gospel message in a way that resonates maybe differently from message to message, but it's always the gospel. Yeah. And, and, and so yeah, the gospel yes. doesn't change. And so that, that's why it is kind of funny when I when I have heard, well, you know, he just he just regurgitates all, you know, and I'm like, I, and I'm like, well, listen, um, in two thousand years, we probably needed to regurgitate it a lot more because we. And this is why, like, I always like to say this too. And it's not that I'm anti-Bible study. Like, I love studying the Bible. But but hopefully, the more you study the Bible, the deeper you go in the gospel, mm-hmm. as opposed to the more knowledge and information you have. Mm-hmm. But I, but what I'm, I'm concerned about is that the previous generation of church, we taught a lot of Bible and had a lot of knowledge and had a lot of information, but our gospel ministry was, in, was an inch deep. And and and, it, and there was no depth to it, and so the deeper you go into the gospel, the more really the the more crushed you become by the gospel, which then means the more you ooze out the gospel, mm-hmm. and, and and you really look more like Jesus, and so then it goes back to you know you can pursue the nations without prejudice. The reason why you can't, you know, reason why a lot of church people that's been in church for decades cannot is because they've not allowed the gospel to penetrate their heart in that area. Mm-hmm. And, and so so anyways, I mean, it goes on and on and on. That's why we got to preach the gospel. That's why, again, giving. Listen, I'm not going to sit here and shame people about giving. I'm going to preach preach the gospel. Yeah. I'm going to apply giving to the, you know, apply giving in the realm of gospel, you know, implications. And then the more you dive deeper into what Jesus has done for you, mm. the, the, the more generous you become. So that's how it all works, right? Yeah, so... Yeah. Yeah. When I think about how do we, you know, check our ethnocentrism out at the door, and it connects with that the whole Bible study thought you were talking about. Um, learning about other cultures really, really helps in that way because when we see um, the way other cultures take and grasp the gospel, you just get such a, you know, they'll describe it as a diamond, right? You yeah. get, you get such a uh, deeper picture. Yeah. Um, a question you can ask yourself: How do I learn about other other cultures? Obviously, through books, through food, through restaurants. There's so many um, international restaurants around here. Except when you're on a short short term mission trip. <laughs> what I mean by that yeah, we, is like, yeah. well, well, now Joe and Priscilla. I mean, now, now Priscilla, <laughs> Priscilla, <laughs> oh, <you> go. <laughs> yeah, you know. So whenever I go on a short-term international mission trip, I'm very cautious about what I eat. That's new. Oh, really? To my body. Why would you be cautious? Well, because I don't know how my body's going to react, okay. and so I don't want to. I don't want to spend the next day in, in, in the can. Because I, I I tried to you know enlarge my you know enlarge my you know yeah so so uh, when you're here <laughs> when you're not on a short term international mission trip where you have a limited now again you might be like a Joe and Priscilla where anything set before you you're like I'll try that I'll try that and then you know Priscilla she she's like you need to be more courageous and I'm like what do you mean and I just she called out the Joshua <laughs> yeah yeah she's like yeah you need to be more courageous and I'm like and I told her I eat. I eat bread and meat when I when I'm on short like I don't eat fruit I don't eat salad so I'll, I'll it's cooked meat 
I'll try it. Yeah. If any kind of bread, man, I'm there, right? So, uh, but vegetables, fruit, salad, absolutely not. Like, I just don't know how my body's going to to react, and I don't want to get sick. So, anyways, but yeah, I agree with you, man. Like, so here, I mean, like here, I'll eat Thai, I'll eat Indian food, uh, I'll I'll eat Cuban. Oh, I love. Oh my gosh, I love. Cuban, and it's a it's just a great way to listen and learn. Yeah, and you can ask yourself, what is the best this culture has to offer? Yeah, right. Mm. And you will quickly see because we saw this in Egypt. You'll quickly see excellence done in ways that our culture doesn't do it. Right, mm. right. Wow. So that's a that's Very a nice. great way to humble ourselves. Um, anytime we do a short term trip. Something that we are embedded into all of those trips is this idea of seeing the sights and sounds and the cultures, the way that God has created nature and also the way God has created these people to be unique and distinct. And you can think, how does the gospel show up in unique ways in that culture? Um, and it's powerful. Yeah. That's true. Well, and that's that's really – when you take the three major religions of the world – Christianity, Islam, and and Judaism, right? Well, really the distinguishing mark in all of those, like even when you look at Judaism in its height, you had to become a Jew in order to be incorporated. Islam, the whole idea is that they want to make you Muslim and, and they want to convert you even culturally. They want you to speak the language. They want you to follow their customs. Yeah. And, and all of that, yeah, right? So it's not about celebrating your culture. It's about, no, you are now converted into not not only their religion, but their customs and everything, which is which again is why, like when you look at really what Islam is at its core, they want to go into a place, dominate it, and force you to become Muslim. Hmm. Christianity is completely different, yeah. They, they won't Christianity takes the, the the beauty and the value and the dignity of every culture and celebrates that. That's why at the very end in Revelation 21, 22, mm-hmm. when the nations are streaming into and they're laying, you know, many scholars would say that what they're doing is laying down their culture and, and the best that they bring to the feet of Jesus. So so that, that that's what Christianity actually celebrates the diversity of our cultures. Yeah. And and that that's the beauty, uh, or that's just one of the elements of the beauty of Christianity and the gospel. And that, that, and I think that's key to where you're talking about being humble, but you don't have to give yourself. You you're not you're not giving your ethnicity up. Yeah, you are just checking it at the door of your ethnocentrism yeah. at the door to make sure you're humble and learn. Yeah. And keep that diversity because it's, there because it's not it's your it's not your primary identity, right? Like th- it does describe you, mm-hmm. like you know. So so we we don't want you to lose your disc- when I say your description mm-hmm. uh, of where you come from mm-hmm. and, and the culture in which you are a exactly. part, exactly. but it doesn't become your primary identity mm-hmm. because because here here's the thing: whatever becomes your primary identity and it, it is attacked. You, you know, then then one or two things are going you know to happen, and and I'm actually working on a talk right now about this. But but whatever you are offended by, 
whatever it is that that you are offended by that you feel like you have to protect it actually reveals what's primary in your life and if you feel like you need to protect it then it shows the weakness of what you what you primarily are 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 attached to that's why i believe that christians should be the least offended people on planet earth because if you attack if you attack our values or if you attack our beliefs what you're ultimately attacking is our god but we don't feel like we have to defend our god right he's mm. big enough to defend himself yeah. Amen. but 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 if you but if you if my identity is tethered to my americanness or my whiteness and you attack my whiteness well then i feel like i got to defend my whiteness or I got to defend my blackness, but but if that's your primary identity, right? Mm-hmm. But so that's why I feel like Christians should be the least offended people because if you really attack us and where our identity lies, uh, Jesus can take care of His own. Amen. <laughs> so, that's it. You know it. <laughs> yeah. so, amen. And we yeah. we we kind of already started getting into the the shifts that need to occur. One, yeah. One of the things I I do want to to bring up. Um, in terms of the signs and deeds before yeah. before we continue with the shifts, is this idea, you know, it's remarkable how God just uh, orchestrates and weaves things together, right? So so this sermon was planned, the sermon of, of Philip being taken away, and then we hear a story <laughs> in Egypt about that, right? Somebody taken away, yeah. I'm so... They show, yeah, they, they show up in another... Hundreds of miles away. Hundreds of miles away yeah, in another yeah, apartment. Yeah. I'm so glad you, you shared that. So I'll, I want to share a little bit about my experience listening to that story. Um, I was listening to Pastor Sema, and I'm so used to hearing this idea of dreams and visions. And I, I didn't understand what he was saying at first. I, I didn't think he finished the story. I almost asked him, like, well, what happened to her? And then I realized... Oh, he told us what happened to her, right? Yeah, physically. Yeah. He wasn't talking about, um, you know, in a dream, in a vision, physically. So I went up to him the next day um, when we were at the, uh, the, the second dinner on Tuesday night. And I said, you meant physically, right? He goes, yeah, and we have other stories like it. He's like, he's like there was a woman similar to that in a different Middle Eastern country. Uh, same thing. So I, I looked it up. I think this idea of, of three days is, is a ritual. So you have three days to change your mind. Mm. So same thing, was, was locked away in a room for three days. She prays this time right outside her front door. She gets moved right outside her front door. Mm. She runs to the nearest phone, calls her husband, and says, my Lord Jesus Christ saved me from you. <laughs> and she was delivered. And he looked over and said, that gentleman, one of the other ministry leaders, he has tons of those stories. <laughs> and, and my response was, oh, Lord, help me with my unbelief. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So what, it, what can that teach us here, you know, the, the church in, in North America? What can that teach us? Well, coming from a Southern Baptist background where for – for most of my time with within that that tradition, I was taught what they call cessationism, where you know signs, miracles, they have ceased to exist. We have the word now; the canon is closed. We just need to right. preach the word. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know I grew up with the debate of Calvinism and Arminianism, yeah. right? And what are you? Are you a Calvinist or are you an Arminianist? Yeah. And over time, as I grew in my understanding of Scripture and reading and 
seeking the Lord, I, it just occurred to me, and, and I've said this now for years, anytime you put God in a box, he, he, he will always jump out because God is not meant to be boxed in. And we, we, here's what we do know about our, our king is that, and, and even here, he'll, he'll do whatever is necessary yeah. to advance the gospel. So if it means persecution and pain, he'll bring it. If it means transporting someone from from a chariot, I mean, he was in a chariot, didn't even leave. Nope. He's in a chariot and then automatically shows up to another city. He'll do it. If it's bringing healings or casting out demons, he'll do it. Mm-hmm. But what what I think here's what I think has again. This is what I think. This is just an opinion, and opinions are like armpits. Everybody has them, and they all stink at times. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I've heard that just a different way. It's just yeah, yeah, the armpit. Armpit. Oh yeah, yeah. I've heard the other one too. So I, I, I've, I've cleaned yeah, it up. I've Thank cleaned you. it up just a little bit. <laughs> so I, I, I just think that we have become too civilized for God here in America. Say that again. We have become too civilized for God. Like we, we, we feel like we're too civilized, sophisticated for God. Well, we have medicine. We don't need God. Yeah. Uh, we have shrinks. We don't need God. Uh, we have everybody who's, uh, you, you know, they've defined it. We don't need God. And so we have become too civilized. And, too, and so when you look at these other countries and sometimes, I mean, again, they, they, they don't have insurance. Uh, they, they don't have access to adequate medical care. They, I, I mean, they, they can be killed for their faith. I mean, so they, they have been put up against a wall huh. where, 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 again, they, they don't have any – they don't actually have any wiggle room. So that's why I say that we've become too civilized, too sophisticated, too smart for God. Therefore, as just you know, Christians who live in America, we don't even think that way. But I, but this is where I feel like our culture is moving. We need to actually start thinking that way because it's like the example I brought up. Because I, I mean, I've had multiple parents come up to me. I just don't know what to do with my teenager. Yeah, and, and here, like, there's no reasoning. At I mean, listen, we have two teenagers. Sometimes you can't reason with the teenager. Most of the time, you can't really reason with the teenager. But here's here's who can. The Spirit of God can reason with the teenager because the Spirit of God can soften the heart of a teenager just like that. Yeah. Right? And so – and then the confusion. And, and I mean we are moving into an era where if the we, – we don't have enough psychology to get people out of the, the issues that they're having. Mm. Mm. You, you know, mental illness running rampant. And again, we have the counselors, we have the psychologists, we have the shrinks. We, we, you know, but I mean, we are we are moving into an I really believe an era, a season in our culture where just like God needs to show up for some of the you know for Egyptians in in in, in their season situation circumstances, we need God to show up now. Yeah. And um and so I hope that we we become a little bit more uncivilized and unsophisticated, thinking that we don't have every answer to yeah. get out of our problem and so that that's my that's my opinion and i'm sticking to it well good because that leads us right into the shifts that okay. you were talking you about go. um and one of the uh first ones actually the first one was talking about counterfeit gods yeah now at the 9 a.m service you mentioned that you had a list for extra takes and we're on extra takes so uh how about that list. <laughs> uh, about the about the list of you, you know. Uh, well, yeah, the to, different to, counterfeit gods. Well, yeah, because I, I mean, I uh, did I. Uh, 
at nine o'clock, did I not list them? A little bit. Yeah. So, so I'm wa- yeah. I'm watching. I'm in the eleven o'clock service, okay. but yeah, I'm watching the nine yeah. in my office, and I hear it's going to be on extra takes. I go, uh oh, what do you say? <laughs> so I went back and listened, and I thought you had. I thought I think it was on the line of yeah. of counterfeit gods. You talked about them a bit, but um, just go ahead and expand on that idea of of counterfeit gods. Well, yeah. So 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 a couple things, and I, I know I didn't get to this in every service, but. When, because I did list out the counterfeit gods, but when you come to Jesus, you let go of your counterfeit gods. You don't, yeah. you know, your counterfeit gods is that mistress, and you don't bring a mistress into the relationship with Jesus. It, you know, you you leave your mistress. And, there were and you, like audible gasps. <laughs> yes, you said that. <laughs> yes. yes, and I was going to say, say it again, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you, you, yeah. You, I mean, you don't you don't bring your mistress into the relationship. You you let you let them go, right? Yeah. But and I did say that I can't remember what service I said this in. But when, but when you do find Jesus and you find the one true God, one of two things are bound to happen with your counterfeit gods. One, they are rejected as unclean because of the standard of Christ and His call in your life. Mm. So therefore, like sexuality, mm-hmm. like so, you're going to adopt what Jesus says of sexuality. So if if you were if the counterfeit God was 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 sexuality that did not fit Jesus' standard, you leave that checked out, right? But then the, the second is you redeem and reuse in a manner that brings honor and glory to Christ. So so think about wealth or possessions. There's, there's nothing wrong with accumulating wealth, yeah. being prosperous. There's nothing but. Now, if that's your counterfeit God where you do in order to get and you have to have wealth or you have to have prosperity in order to have joy and amazement again that that's your counterfeit god but when you when you leave that god out and you embrace Jesus well then now Jesus redeems and reuses your wealth and your prosperity now you're going to leverage your wealth and your prosperity to bring honor and glory to him so you're going to use it and you're going to steward it and manage it in a way that he wants you to do it. Yep. Now, the the third thing, and I did mention this and, and others, but I, yeah, I may want to flesh this out a little bit. There's actually a third thing that you can do, and this is what Simon did. He tried to marry the two. Mm. He tried to marry the counterfeit god of, of fame, prosperity, and, and, and his his business with Jesus and his power. Yeah. Now, here's here's one of the main ways we see this done today in our culture. Do you know which sphere it is found in? Politics. Uh, Yes. You will find both Democrats and Republicans tied Jesus to their policy. Lord have mercy. Stop it. Uh Stop it. You're trying to use Jesus to peddle your policy. No, no, no. You, you, I, I get a little, I get a little, get a little, you know, okay. frustrated with this because this is what Simon tried to do. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna peddle Jesus so I can pad my pocket. Mm. And, and so, and he tried to sink, and, and so in that again, and and in the mission world, we call this syncretism. Now they did that, you know, still, and even in Africa, uh, they they have syncretism because they come from an animism type of religion, and then they try to mix in Jesus with animism, and they try to have the best of both worlds. No, no, no. Like when you come to Jesus, you get one world, one world only, and that is the kingdom of God and Jesus as your king, mm. and He directs everything. Everything revolves around him 
him. And, and but then, but again, here's what we see with 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 Peter rebuking Simon. Here's what he says. He says, "May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money." You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. He's like, basically, you haven't changed. Mm-mm. Wow. And so, so that's one of the things that we have to be careful of. And that's why you have to let Jesus, again, coming to Jesus, he then becomes not only your savior, but your king. That's why I always say savior and king or or savior and Lord is that now he starts dictating. But but again, that's the Simon wanted to marry his counterfeit with Christ and you you can't have the best of both worlds. Mm. You either have... One world or no world. Mm. So, so that, that that's a little bit more of what I wanted to flesh out. But 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 in politics right now, and that's where like, oh oh yeah yeah, uh, it gets me every time. Where yeah yeah we're we're running up uh, against time. This has been a, a really good conversation. A um, couple things that I'll I'll kind of bring up and see what you want to touch on. This idea of gospel ministry, the definition. And then that final point of the one who plays the central role. So, which of those? Yeah, uh, I'm gonna pick another one. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick a third door uh, because I didn't get. Yes, I didn't. I didn't go get, for it. Yeah, I, I, I didn't get to it right, because you know, from confusion to clarity about the truth. Okay. And when you look at again, when you look at what Philip does with the Ethiopian eunuch, he's reading Isaiah fifty three and he doesn't understand it. Mm. And the understanding that Philip brings is in light of Jesus, right? And so what you see with Peter preaching, he he did the same thing. So he's taken the Old Testament and he is he is bringing to light the Old Testament through the centrality of Jesus. Same thing with Stephen, history of Israel, and he's making a beeline to Jesus. So I'll give you an example because I shared this with the Egyptians, the, the church where where I had the privilege of, of preaching that night. And I was talking to them about the, this idea of caution, that there's this big caution that God would give the Egyptians. And you can actually see it with Pharaoh, who is the the Pharaoh of the Exodus, because this Pharaoh had forgotten all the things that God did Mm. through Joseph. Mm. And as a result, he, he turned to be very harsh to the Hebrews, to the Israelites. But then God sends Moses to, to deliver the, the, the Israelites, and now Pharaoh is hardening his heart against God. And as a result, all of these plagues come, and then even the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn, and then Pharaoh relents and says, all right, get out of here. And so now the Israelites are, are, are moving on. But then... For some reason, he changes his mind again, hardens his heart even more, and now he gets his army, army, and he starts chasing after yeah. the Israelites. Well, the Red Sea comes, yeah. and so the Red Sea is parted for the Israelites, but the Red Sea actually comes over and kills the Egyptians. And and I said the Red Sea is a type of Christ. 
because Christ can be your savior and your deliverer like he like the Red Sea was for the Israelites or Jesus can be your judge and your executioner like the Red Sea was for the Egyptians it's all how you respond to him mm. and so what that that's an example of okay how do you interpret the Red Sea you interpret it through the lens of Jesus. How do you interpret Joseph uh, of the Old Testament who was used as a prince of Egypt? Well, Jesus is the better Joseph. Mm. How do you look at Jonah? Jesus is the better Jonah. How do you look at David and all of the kings? Jesus is the better king, right? And so what what you really are doing is if you really want to make sense out of life, Jesus is truly the answer. How how is someone saved? Jesus. How, how do you parent? Uh, Jesus. Like Jesus is go- he's the answer. He he is the word. He is the truth. He you know he's the life, right? And so so that's where I feel like if there's in if there's ever any confusion, look to Jesus Amen. because there there there's going to be something of Jesus and His Word mm. that that gives us some clarity that gives us some principles. In, in how to look at our life to bring about truth, you know, and and, and that and so so that, that that's just just kind of what I want to expound just just a little bit, you know, kind of a little bit more there. So yeah, that that's wonderful. Yeah. And and as we end, as a reminder, that final question: Who plays the central role of bringing joy and amazement to people in cities? Not Philip, not the church, but only the Spirit of God. Yeah, and I'll add to that too is that if you're reading God's Word, which I hope everybody is devotionally, and you're sitting there with with a passage and you're like, my goodness, I'm just like, and you might even have a commentary, which I'm, I encourage you to get a commentary or get a study Bible that will help. But but let me tell you who you actually need to ask because Jesus actually tells us that the Spirit of God will give you wisdom. Amen. And and so and I, I I promise you like as I study God's word I'm constantly asking the Spirit will you will you enlighten me of what what you're saying here uh, of what this means and um and anytime I ever come to a to a a point where I'm like how do I even even for for framing out the message if I ever get to a point where it's not coming I'm I, I I have to I have to remember and I have to shift and go, Spirit, it ultimately, every time I preach and every framework of a sermon comes from you. So I'm just recognizing that. Will you help me? Even for this message, like when you take verses 4 through 40 and you see a theme, but you don't know how to frame it out in a way that that that's congruent and yeah. that can flow. I mean, I'm telling you, I, I can show you my notes of going, all right, ha, ha, Spirit, like, how do you want me to frame this out in a way that flows, mm. that will make sense for people? I'm constantly going to the Spirit for help. So, because um, he's the he's the central role. He plays the central role in bringing joy and amazement, which again is is partly through clarity. And I'm telling you, there's so much joy and amazement that comes to me when I, sometimes I'll listen to a message or I'll look at my notes and I'm like, how in the world do I even preach that? I, seriously, I, I mean, I'm no lie. I'm like. Where did that? I that's a that's a good statement. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but it's not. But it not it didn't come from me. Yeah, it, it really did. It came from the Spirit of God giving that to me for His people. So, Amen. Amen. Yeah. Yes. Amen. Well, thank you for this conversation. Thank you, Joe, for joining us. Thank you. Allow me to be in. Thanks, Pastor Josh and um, Northland. It's 
It's been a wonderful. We are grateful for you each and every week. Come back next week as we continue to learn together. See you next time. Thanks for listening to Extra Takes. Be sure to follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts so you won't miss a single episode.